Magalhaes to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner. Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it. Just a minute to play. A stoppage time. Here's Letizia. Hello and welcome to the Saints FC podcast. Um, this is our second episode. The date is the 27th of February, um, although in every Saints fan life, that is the day after we very much unfortunately lost 3-2 to Manchester United in the EFL uh, Cup final, formerly known as the League Cup final. Um, I'm John Benny. I'm here with my co-host Tom Parker. Hello everyone. Uh, hello, Tom. Uh, great to have you back again this week. Um, so this week we are going to be interviewing Brett Ormerod, former Saints legend, um, played in the last time we went to a major cup final and lost, which was back in 2003 in the FA Cup final. And um, I think this time around we'll, we'll try it a little bit of a different way. So we'll go straight to the interview and then we'll have a little chat after that. So um, I guess let's go and give him a call. Right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm uh, very pleased to say that we've got Saints legend Brett Ormerod uh, joining us on the line today. Um, some of you will probably remember Brett signing from uh, Blackpool, I think for £1.75 million in the Gordon Strachan uh, era and playing in that, in that great Gordon Strachan side which uh, got through to the FA Cup final, qualified for Europe, um, and but unfortunately never quite won the FA Cup and, and a feeling of losing a cup final I think we're all uh, suffering from today. So Brett, thanks a lot for, for letting us speak to you on the show. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I suppose kind of, uh, first of all, did, did you watch the um, League Cup final yesterday? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, I, I think as finals go, it's, uh, it, was, it was really good. You know, I really enjoyed it. Um, Two teams. I thought Saints were the better team over the over the ninety minutes, um, but it was a fantastic uh, game. Usually, you know, the build up to finals and that, and sometimes it can be a bit of a letdown. But uh, no, I really enjoyed the game. But uh, uh, apart from the result, yeah, yeah, I think that's probably uh, probably the feeling reflected amongst all Saints fans is that um, you know watching that game, totally proud of the the team. Thought we played really really well. Gave it our all, but you know, just to kind of not win it in the end was was pretty gutting. Um, and uh, I, I won't mention the linesman too much, but he's not not top of my Christmas card list at the moment either. It was a poor decision, you know. Um, it's it's a big decision. You can't say it, 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 you know it, it wouldn't have had any bearing on the game because goals change games, you know, and that would have been yeah. one nil. So you know, it's a massive decision, and it's and, and makes it all that more hot, you know, tougher to swallow, isn't it? Right, so I suppose kind of uh, probably, well, in uh, I think in kind of most Saints fans' opinion, the highlight of your uh, career for Southampton, anyway, would have been scoring in that FA Cup semi-final against Watford, and um, you know, kind of sealing Southampton's place in the FA Cup final. I wonder if you can can tell us what you remember about that game and that day. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 
you know, it's the only semi-final FA Cup semi-final I've ever played in. So you know, it's not like I've got a few to pick from. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I remember um, being pretty nervous in the morning. Um, I think um, on the whole, I think there's an expectancy on us to beat Watford because they were a, a you know a league lower. Uh, not not particularly from Saints fans. I mean, from from the country as a whole. Um, and games never t- tend to prove like that, you know. So there was, there was a bit of a, a nervousness, um, but a bit of you know an excitement that um, there was there was an opportunity to get to a cup final, which uh, you know we haven't been since 1976. And 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 as for me personally, a chance to play in, in what you know I've grown up as being the biggest game. You know, I'm from a kid every you know every Saturday at three o'clock. Every year, you know, the, the FA Cup final was like a religion. You sat down and watched it with your family, all your friends did. Um, and, and the opportunity to, to to be able to even play in a final like that, you know, when you put kicking a bat on court, on court part with your mates when you're a kid, you're, you know, you're Wembley dubs and you're about playing in an FA Cup final. So it was it was all that really. It was it was a lot of things to take in for me. Yeah, and and do you remember much about the actual game itself? Like, do you remember the goal? the cross coming um, in, the header or or any of it, or is it all kind of like a bit of a blur? Yeah, yeah, it, it was, I mean, it's, I haven't scored for quite a bit then, I've set a few up, but I, I'm going for quite a bit of a, a goal-scoring drive, I think I played at Ellen Road, I played a few games at Bar and Post, and for some, you know, it just wasn't going, and it, we, we played that game, and it was quite it was quite a scrappy first half, if I remember, a bit tense, you know, a bit of nervousness from both teams, really. Yeah. Uh, I think Paul Jones played, obviously Anthony Norman was injured, I think, Paul Jones was playing, uh, did a few good saves first half from from uh, from, um, from Watford players, uh, and it was it was just a general uh, an edginess to the game first half, and um, I think it was uh, Andy Svensson just you know down the left hand side turned the ball into Chris Marsden, he's he's whipped across and I managed to get my head on it, uh, probably didn't direct it as as good as I wanted to, but the keeper you know he he couldn't keep it out. He, and it went in, and it was like one nil with a bit of relief. And then, uh, but for me, scoring, you know, to get thing, but to, to score in, in, you know, in that kind of occasion, and, and the response from the fans was superb and uh, and stuff. So um, yeah, the first, half, second half, again, uh, I think Rory Dillap had come on as sub, got a tackle, and it just fell to me, and I just picked the ball up and just kept running and running and running, uh, got my head up and just seen beats in the box, just to try to put it into that you know dangerous area and. Uh, I think Beats got in on it, and it, I think it had come off Paul Robinson, but we went two 0 up and and, and and relief. And then I think they scored um, pretty much uh, an header. I think it looped in, if I remember rightly, uh, which set up a quite a tense finish because I, I felt at two 0 second half at points we were quite comfortable. I think Stephen Glass hit it crossbar for them, um, but it just felt quite comfortable. And then he scored off, and then you know the last obviously five ten minutes of the game were quite edgy, but that final whistle went and uh, and the relief and the, and the the, um, the emotion and everything that goes with you know that you've and the, the realization that you know you've you've won it and you're going to be playing in a cup final was something I'll you know I won't I'll never forget. Yeah, and and do you think that kind of was was that the I suppose kind of the biggest moment of your career kind of going up into that FA Cup final, or did you have kind of like yeah. bigger things with with Blackpool getting promoted? What what kind of feels the biggest for you? No, I mean, I, I'd have to say, you know, the, the biggest highlight of my career is obviously, I, I think, um, going up with Blackpool and, you know, getting Blackpool. I, I had two spells at Blackpool, obviously. I played in every division, scored in every division for Blackpool. 
getting the Premier League, I scored the, you know, my goal, uh, we beat Cardiff 3-2 in an unbelievable game. Um, and and I got, I got what turned out to be the winner. Uh, only eclipsed for me the FA Cup final because of the result. Um, you know, uh, the FA Cup final, is, it was... Um, and uh, I think with the Blackpool one as well, is um, which made it a bit more special because it was at Wembley. Now, it, you know, back in 2003, and I played in a playoff final that we won and I managed to score in with Blackpool when we got promoted from League 2 to League 1. Uh, we beat Lane Orient, and, but Wembley was being, that's when Wembley was being uh, rebuilt. Um, so they were both at the Millennium Stadium. As, as good as the Millennium Stadium is, it's a fantastic stadium. But, you know, I, I'd actually thought I'd missed the chance of playing at Wembley. Uh, so to get to Wembley with Blackpool and, and score, you know, and, and, that, and that what is you know an amazing stadium. Yeah, the, I mean the, the the FA Cup finals is it, that's the only thing that changes is we didn't win it. You know, I, I, yeah. I still I, I still got that gut wrench. I can still remember that gut wrenching um, feeling of, of getting me uh, medal off uh, running something off Bobby Robson and walking past that FA Cup trophy and not yeah. touching it. You know, mm. and that's something that is. Uh, I never touched the trophy. I should, I, I should even. I, 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 you know, I, some I regret. I should have just touched it anyway. But it's something that I walked past. I didn't think. You know, because we and it and it was a game that you know we we played really well in against Arsenal. You know, we. I think if I remember, we had Thierry Henry was running the ball in corners with ten minutes to go, and yeah, it's not often you play against a team like Arsenal and they have you know some of the best players in the world running ball in corners, trying to waste time. You know, um, so. Yeah, and I remember it in my left foot shot that David Seaman pulled out, which is one of the only times I've ever hit a ball with my left foot that I've actually thought that's in. You know, and, he, <laughs> and uh, I think Beats got cleared, one cleared off the line. Um, there was there was one bit that actually quite annoyed me um, in the first half. Is we scored a goal, uh, we scored a goal, and um, I put Beats through, and he got given offside. And to this day, no one really mentions a lot of it, but if you watch actually watch it at the time, it's not offside. You know, I switched it through BC score. I would have made it one over the point, and the line put it offside. And for me, you know, to, to this day, it wasn't offside, and that yeah. could change the game. But um, yeah, I mean, we got beat one 0 and, and obviously, you know, the rest history. Like, but um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, apart from the result, it's, it was fantastic. It was the first FA Cup final as well with the roof shut, so the atmosphere was even more, um, you know, intense sort of thing. It was, uh, it was deafening and. Uh, just, just a great occasion, but like you say, it's, it's um, when you don't win it, it's, it always, it's always tainted, I suppose. Great, hi, it's, it's Tom here. I was, I was going to ask you about the FA Cup final again. If you don't mind. How do you, as a player, because obviously we saw the, the game yesterday, do you prep for that like against any other game, like you were just playing Arsenal um, away from home, or, or is there a sort of special, you know, amount of preparation? Do you try? And, what I mean is like. Is it good for you as a as a footballer to try and think of it just like any other game and to try and win it, or do you think of the occasion? Um, I, I think as a player, it's it's hard not to get caught up in the occasion, but you've really got to, you know you've got to put that to one side because you know at the end of the day you, you you're doing a job. All right, Strachan was pretty meticulous anyway. You know, in every game that we did, he was very um, you know he's, he's he had a game plan for each game, you know, he'd, he'd go into things in meticulous detail and then, you know, and um, so you all knew your job before you're going on pitch, um, you know, to give you the best chance of beating your teams like Arsenal because if you go on, you know, if you go and try and outplay that Arsenal team at, at 2003, chances are you're going to get beat. 
we played him in league a couple of weeks earlier, um, a week or two earlier, and Strachan had rested. I didn't play a beast. We were quite a few was on bench, and he beat us 6-1, I think. I think Jermaine Pennant got out to it that day at Ivory. So, you know, sometimes the best team, you know, if, if you play him at their game and try and go head-to-head, some, you know, nine times out of ten you're going to get beat. But, we, you know, we went into that game confident that if we could perform like we could, we were more than capable of getting a result. We beat him at St Mary's early on in the season. And, and to this day, you know, I thought we, I thought we, we had a great performance. It was just we couldn't, you know, David Seaman pull off one or two saves, and we just needed that bit of luck that you need on them occasions to to beat the top sides, and it, it just wasn't to be. So, um, what would you say to uh, the players today who are kind of maybe sat at home thinking, oh, what what might have been yesterday? Is there anything you, you can say to kind of lift the mood at that point, or? Well, yeah, I mean, you can, you know, it's. It, it, well, the, you know, then players will be in that dressing room know that they were the better team. And I think I think sometimes that's that's the thing that's hard to swallow. You know, I played in a, a playoff final with Wrexham uh, back in my career um, against Newport at Wembley to get Wrexham back in the league. And, and we were the better team for 90 minutes. And, you know, they hit us on the break twice too late and scored two late goals and we get beat. And there's nothing worse than when you've played in a final and you have been the better team. You know, you've had chances, you've been the better team over the 90 minutes. And sometimes as a player, I think it's... If, if you get beat, you know, if you if, if you get beat two three nil, and uh, you can't set that sometimes because you think, you know, what we it, it were just better than us on the day, and that I think that for me as a player, it was always harder to accept that if you were the better team, and, and in, in a way you felt like, you know, especially uh, you, you, they've just gone and hit your break and, and nicked a goal, and so but that's where football happens, you know, you don't always get what you deserve in, in football, unfortunately, and um, but I always find it harder to take with that. I, I, I'd much rather get beat. Sometimes two and three nil coming off pitch, saying, "Well, you were better than us." You know, we we just weren't at it the day, and, and they deserve to win. But when you when you've been a better team, and you, and, and there's little things, and, and you know, and you and you've got beat, it's a bit it's a, it's a bit harder to swallow, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, pretty gutting. I kind of want I want to go back to that um that Strachan side because I was a, a season ticket holder at St Mary's that that season, and I've got to say, it was, in terms of uh, football, it was one of the most enjoyable years of my life. And um, you know, I particularly remember kind of fondly, um, you know, watching Anders Fenson coming through from the midfield. But the partnership between you and James Beattie, and I wonder, kind of from that team, who who were the kind of real stars for you? Who were the players that you most enjoyed playing with? Um, I think everyone. I think it was the team. You know, we had such a good team spirit. We we we'd no real, you know, world class players. We we had Anders Fenson. I think Anders was the, probably the the biggest player. Uh, I mean, at Wainbridge, um, obviously the 2002 World Cup, uh, Anders had um, gone away with Sweden, had scored against Argentina, hadn't they? And we, we actually, in that summer, we actually went to Sweden um, on pre-season. And he was like, there's David Beckham at the time. You know, everywhere we went, there were just massive crowds of people everywhere wanting Anders and, uh, and Michael Svensson. Um, so, but I, I mean, it, it was a team collective. It didn't matter. I mean, we had... We had good competition in there, you know, we had, there was Matt Oakley, there was Roy DeLapp, there was Andy Spencer, we had Joe Tessam who was, who could play up front anyway, you know, I, I think what Strachan did have, he built a team that uh, not only were good players, but he got us really fit and he had, and you know, there were no massive egos in that dressing room, everyone really, you know, worked hard for each other and uh, I think that was the key to it really. Yeah, and, and what about James Beattie? Yeah, but I mean, Beats was what, you know, if, if you know, I've known Beats since we were 10 year old. Um, you know, we, we, we were apprentices at Blackburn together. 
you know, right through, uh, you know, so I've, I've known him a long, long time, and I'm obviously, I came, I've came down to Southampton, played with him there, and then he yeah. actually came to Blackpool for a brief period uh, when I was at Blackpool in uh, under Ian Holloway. Uh, I think sometimes it, if you didn't know him, you may be, someone might misconstrue yeah. uh, that opinion. But, but Beast was just a larger than life character. He always, you know, he's one of them people that no matter when I went in it morning, no matter what mood I was in, if I were in bad mood, he could always put a smile on your face. He always, he always, he, he just always had that lot. He, you could say, uh, he was, I mean, he's probably one of the best time in his career, goal scoring wise. You know, yeah. and he, he was oozing confidence. He, you know, he, he was the kind of player that he had. He could score all kinds of goals. You know, he could get the tappings, but he could hit the thirty-five yards spectaculars as well. And he, and he was, he was large. You know, he was in, at that point very confident, very larger than life. But I, you know, I don't think there was any. Um, I just think he, he was just enjoying being a footballer at that point in time. And, and like I said, he he, he he was infectious that way um, because he's, he's, he's you know he, he rubbed off on you. And um, like I said, there were a few mornings like well, for whatever reason I went in with you know not feeling the best and not in a good mood, and he'd always put a smile on my face. So um, you know, I, I, he's, um, uh, we had a good we had a good partnership. Um. But it's Tommy. Just to, talk about personality. You were there, I think, when Harry Redknapp and Rupert Lowe were at the club. Yeah. Um, how was that? Like, obviously, Harry's known to be larger than life, but obviously, Rupert was quite a unique individual. What, what was it like? Cause obviously, he got a lot of scrutiny at the time. It, it was a, it was a tough time for the club, to be honest. I think, um, you know, I think uh, it, it, it all started with the, the when Strachan left um, January, win it, and Glenn Oddle was meant to be getting the job. So I think it was just one of them cases where he. he, 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 he affordable at the time and Paul Sturrock and I don't think Paul Sturrock did a bad job to be honest um, he steadied us I think we finished mid-table that season and um, and I, I, to this day I honestly do not know what went on at the club uh, it, it was, I remember pre-season a lot of stories going out about um, unrest in the dressing room not all of it was true but there were one, one, two, one or two things coming out that, um, that were and you're thinking where's it coming from and, and things like that and then I think they lost a small opening day of the season to Aston Villa and then we beat Blackburn on the week after at home on the Saturday and by the Monday he'd left due to uh, mutual consent I think it was uh, and then Steve Wigley obviously came in took over had a go at running it got into a position and, and then Harry came in and it was I don't know I mean you know Harry wasn't really my favourite manager of all, <laughs> by any means um, my own personal opinion on Harry is that um, you know, if I look at the managers like I've had like Ian, Ian Holloway and Gordon Strachan, for me they were managers who, who sort of built players to fit in a system that they wanted and tried to improve you as a player. I felt at the time we, we figured that Harry was a, a manager that just brought players in and won win a game. You know, um, he didn't when he came into Southampton. He didn't really. I mean, when he came, he went back to Portsmouth and kept them up. He, he spent a lot of money to keep them up. Southampton were never going to, you know, at that time didn't have weren't a club that threw millions around willy nilly, um, and and I think he, he obviously came in and couldn't, you know, buy the spend the money he wanted to, and it and it, it eventually didn't go very well, and we ended up getting relegated. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty gutting season. Uh, kind of thinking back to that now, there we go from cup finals to relegation, um, and it it wasn't too long, was it? That was the, Two seasons that that all kind of fell apart, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. 
it was an hard time. I mean, when we got relegated as well. I mean, and up to that, the one thing that uh, the stability of the clubs when Strachan left, the stability that had, had been up to my since I've been there, or the three years I've been there up to Strachan leaving. You know, it, it was a well-run football club, well respected. It's been, and then um, you know, and I'm not blaming anyone particularly, but you know, it. it when Strachan left, and, and we had, you know, we had so many quick managers in succession, we seemed to have this media circus. You know, every time I turn up at March for the training ground, there'd be cameras outside where, you know, and something else had broken, some something else, and there's this is going on, that and going on, and and, it, it, and and football sort of took a back step, and it, and suddenly Southampton were always in the papers for the wrong things, and uh, and we got relegated, and obviously we lost Beat, Kevin Phillips left, Peter Crouch, my contract was coming to an end. I'd, I'd never really played under Harry, so. I could never understand. I would gone to Wigan and, and help them get promotion, um, yeah. and I couldn't understand why he would, he, you know, he wouldn't let me go um, at that time. He, he, obviously, all the players were leaving, um, but he'd never really shown an interest in me as a player. Uh, but then, you know, kept me there, which I, I found quite baffling at the time, um, because obviously, once he brought other, other players in, he very rarely played me anyway um, until me leaving in January to Preston, but. By then, George Burley. I mean, even though his departure was, you know, full of co- controversy and, you know, and, and things like that. So, um, and, and and I think it's a difficult one because obviously we had the Clive Woodward thing as well, if you remember. Yeah. In on that, mm. uh, and yeah, there was quite there was quite a few different factors at the football club, and it, I just remember it wasn't a nice place to be anymore at yeah. the time. You know, it, it was. It was always there's always something coming out. There was always like the manager and the you know whether it was true or not, I don't know. But it, it just seemed there was endless press there. There's always something going on about a manager start with a chairman, start out with this and something else and something else. And it just to me it just felt like football. It wasn't the most important thing at that football club anymore, and it had just lost its way. And um, you know, and it, and it was a shame because. Um, at the time, I mean, I think Southampton, I've always said it, I've, I've done numerous sort of things. Southampton, to me, you know, it's still had the best, in the last 10, 15 years, I think, you know, it's had the best youth team system set up and has, you know, there's, uh, there's more players come from Southampton's youth team um, and gone on to make careers in football at every level than, I can, than any club I can think of. Um, so it's in, it's a tough time to be at the club, to be honest. Yeah, I'd almost totally forgotten about Clive Woodward and his little stint at um, Southampton. Yeah, it's, it's an incredibly bizarre, bizarre thing, that wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to put words into people's mouths, but my personal opinion at the time, I just felt with with uh, the chairman then, Rupert Law, you know, he, he was a, he was a nice bloke, was Rupert. He's, you know, I just felt that once Strachan left, I felt. He was trying to. I think he wanted to change football. You know, I think he looked out. Uh, I don't know what his, 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 his vision were, but I just remember when George Burley got the money, uh, got the job. He wasn't. We we weren't to call the manager. You know, we had. A, he was the head coach, and it was a team of people. You know, um, yeah. I remember doing the meeting and saying, well, you know, there's not one one manager anymore. It, it, we're a team of people. You know, and, and um, we just got a bit the impression at the time that they wanted to pioneer something new and and, and this the first to do something uh, you know which is, is fair enough but it was it was a big gamble with Southampton and it, it never really worked and what it needed after going down was stability 
and um, and that's the last thing we had with um, you know with everything that was going on. Stability was the favourite thing. George Bailey came in to be fair and did, uh, did quite a good job uh, stabilising the club um, and just getting the, the media attention off the club. Um, you know, because it just seemed to be in the in the in the in papers week in week out for just all every every other reason but football. Tom, have we got a kind of cheerier question to ask, Brett? Have we... Yeah, well, <laughs> I, yeah, probably the best. Been a bit, um, bit, bit down. But one of the things I wanted to ask you: you scored in all four leagues for Blackpool. I don't know of anyone else who scored. And I mean, obviously, Ricky Lambert for, um, scored in all four all four leagues, but obviously for different clubs. Yeah. Um, one of the things, you know, we were at the game yesterday. The players that played really well, Ibrahimovic aside, weren't the ones maybe that have been signed for the most money. Do you watch football now and think that clubs are missing a trick by not taking a chance on, on players from the lower leagues? Um, yeah, I mean, there is a case for it, and I, I do believe that. I mean, um, you know, I've always said, uh, I mean, Southampton, again, is the exception. I think the U team system, I mean, they've brought so many quality young, young football players through. Not every club does that. You know, not every club, you know, the Man City of this world and stuff. Even if, you know, you look at their under-23 team and they're full of international foreign lads. Uh, you know, and, and that's fine. That's up to them. But you know, I, I've always said that when you're you're youngster and you're coming through, uh, people mature at different times, physically and mentally. You know, a player at 18 who might not be, you know, mentally mature by the time he's 21 might be a completely different player. You know, and then and you do get a lot of players um, who who drop into lower leagues. Um, you know, and, and they find the feet and they get the confidence and all that, and then next thing you know, they're being bought back. Jamie Vard is a classic example, right? But he was at a professional football club before. And if you uh, if you look at the majority of these lads they get from non-league and that, if, if you actually follow the background, they've actually have been at professional clubs, you know, uh, at the clubs beforehand, and at 16 or 18, have been told, "No, you're not good enough. See you later," and, and things like that. So. Um, there's definitely there's definitely players out there, um, definitely in more leagues. Um, that, but I, I don't know. I, I think I think the the top clubs. It's a balance between um, you know getting the right, get, giving the kids you know the chance, but then man managers are under pressure to be winning that you know the Premier. You know Man City, for example, and Chelsea. Can they are they going to afford to chuck two or three kids in at a time, uh, which? You know, lose a game that could lose, you know, losing the league and lose the manager's job. At the time, you were bought from Blackpool for one point seven five million pounds, and although it wasn't, yeah. you know, one of the top Premier League transfers, that was still quite a lot of money back then. And and I think it was the the record amount that Blackpool had ever accepted for a player. What was it like having that kind of value attached to yourself? Do you think, bloody hell, I'm, you know, I'm a million pound man now? I'm, I'm, what does that feel like when you have that kind of in the back of your head? Uh, I, I try, I try not to worry about that too much. To be honest, I was more worried about you know moving two hundred miles down on to the bottom end of the country when I've lived in Blackburn all my life with my wife and me and me eldest at me well he's the eldest now but me lad who was about six months I didn't really focus on the on the transfer fee because I think you know what one club values of that and one club you know you're only worth as what. Any any club at any given time is prepared to pay for you. Um, so that wasn't that, the transfer fee. wasn't really. Uh, I never really thought about it too much. It's, it's always nice to be able to go back home to the and say, "Yeah, I'm worth a million quid." <laughs> and they say, "Well, you don't look at your stuff, you know. You get that." But um, 
So it's it, that that bit of it never really, never never really it bothered me. It was it was the um, you know um, going 300 miles down and, and moving to to somewhere down south where I've never been before, which you know turned out to be one of the, one of the best time in my life. Um, you know, my daughter was born down there. Loved absolutely loved it down there, and you know, I'll be forever grateful for getting that opportunity. But um, oh, on the transfer fee, um, it's, I just—it's out of your hands. It's, it's, whether it's fifty grand or fifty million, it's, it's not something that a player is, is, is you know is usually involved in. It's usually the club, and he's selling you his diamond. Um, what are you up to now? But obviously, you've you've been playing for twenty odd years of professional football. What? How do you? What do you do after you finish? Are you you staying in the game at all, or? Um, well, uh, to be honest, I was actually on Radio Five Live this morning. I've just done a bit for them, um, but I am doing a bit uh, for Radio Lancashire um, because obviously I played uh, Accrington Stanley, starting the career at Blackburn. Obviously, I played Accrington Stanley, Preston, Blackpool. So I've played the majority of clubs. So um, I do a bit of commentary for them uh, now and again. Um, sometimes go in the studio on a mon- on a Friday to do the previews of the game, or do the Monday to do the aftermath and, and the. Of, of, of the weekend results and stuff, and, and um, I've been doing, you know, a few Preston games and, and Stanley games there. I've done a couple of Blackpool as well recently, so um, it's uh, I'm enjoying it to be honest. It keeps me in the football. Um, me and my wife have um, we bought in, we've actually bought the Anytime Fitness franchise, um, so we're opening a gym hopefully very soon in Southport, um, which is 24-hour gyms and stuff. So uh, it's more than oh, okay. thing than mine. It's more than thing than mine, but it's. Um, yeah, so we're looking down that route, really. Um, I've just, um, I've started, my youngest lad's 10 year old, I've just started helping out uh, with his football team and start helping training, doing a bit of shooting practice and, and training with, with, him, with his team on a Thursday, under 10. So um, I'm enjoying that as well. So I'm, I'm a bit of everything, really. I'm, I'm, um, uh, the gym's certainly, you know, keeping most of the time, me and my wife, there's so many things, elements into it. And we're, um, currently we've just about negotiated a lease signed and we're just waiting for the contractors to go in, and then we can start pre-sales. Um, so that's hopefully coming up. That'll hopefully be happening in the next couple of weeks. Really, um, it's been a long, t- it's been a good 18 month of negotiation and sorting everything out, which is you know something my wife's done because I'm as thick as a floor when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so it, it's, it's um, hopefully it's an exciting time to heading that respect. But uh, like I said, I've been doing the commentary, which I'm you know really on, which I'm really enjoying. Seeing. You know, you get to watch games for free. You usually get a free pint and a, a cup of tea and uh, and uh, and get to watch the game. So it's it's good. No, oh, brilliant. Oh, nice. Brett, I've thought of one other thing which I wanted to ask you before we uh, before we let you you go. Um, yeah. I remember hearing this rumor that um, on kind of like Saturday nights in Southampton, in town, Gordon Strachan would be wandering around the town, checking the bars to make sure. That the uh, players were not out drinking too much. Is, is is that true? And if so, what did you do to avoid being caught by the wee man from Scotland? Um, well, to be honest, I heard that. I mean, I never actually got caught. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think that was all. If he ever did, he'd have probably before if, if you're going out before a game. Um, you know, he wasn't a massive fan of, of players going out and drinking, but I, I, I think he did realise that sometimes. You know, when appropriate, you can go out and blow off some steam. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, because of the pressures, that's you know, there's, there's a lot of pressures in football. You you know, and, and things as much as it's a great job and all that. So I, I think he did realise that. But I mean, 
I think and he never caught me, and, and but I did hear that he, he, I heard that rumour as well. Whether it's true or not, I'm, I never asked him because um, you know he's one of them striking. He's, he's um, if he said you didn't go out, as far as I'm concerned, I didn't go out. <laughs> you know, I was. Um, <laughs> You know, when he spoke out, listen, he was, I remember when I first went to the club and Paul Williams said to me, don't argue with a gaffer, you'll never win. And yeah. you never will. Um, and I remember, there's one game, I'll just tell you a quick story, when we played Liverpool at home, and it was the season, you know, when we finished eighth, and we'd only been beat twice that season at St Mary's, one were off United, one were off Liverpool. And I came on a sub, and uh, someone got injured, and he, he shouted me over, and he was shouting at me, and I couldn't tell what he was saying. So I said, what? And he shouted again, what? And I must have said it about three times. He just he said, say, what, what more, one more time, and I'll bring you, and I'll drag you off. And I went, uh, and he said it, and I went, right. And I went, I'm back on the pitch, and I remember Biggs coming on. He said, what did he say? I said, I'm going to go through. And stuff, but yeah, he's, um, he was a fantastic manager to work on this track, and he was, he really was. He, like I say, he, he was, he, when you went, he always tried to improve as a player and stuff, but like I say, if he, if he said something, yeah, he listened. <laughs> and it was simple as that. And uh, and um, actually, I was just kind of you talking about Strachan has reminded me of another kind of quite famous character, is uh, Ian Holloway, um, being your manager as yeah. well. Um, do you have a favourite between the two of them? They, I mean, they both yeah. come across as pretty big characters uh, on you know on the press and the TV. Um, yeah, I mean, I've asked that question a lot, and I'm, as managers go, I hold, I hold them to up there because just. Cuban because there were two different times in your life. I'm doing all of it. When I'd left Preston, I'd gone back to Blackpool. I think I was 33 at the time. Um, pass way past me prime, so more, you know, for a long time past me prime, going to a lot of people. But, uh, always on the training ground. Always wanted to make you a better player, you know. Uh, and and the, the, the pretty much similar qualities. Um, obviously, they're different. Like I say, I mean, Ian Holloway would start off the conversation. You know, we could have a team meeting with Ian Holloway. Um, he used to go in, get in the training ground before 10 o'clock and then start training at, at half 10. And he could have a meeting and he'd, he'd just get that carried away. That he'd be like, quarter to 12 and still be there. <laughs> and lads would be looking, God, we're going out to change today. What? You know, because he just, you know, he, he just had that enthusiasm that he rubbed off on you. And, um, you know, they both, and they both had massive impact, impact on me. And, you know, and uh, so I... I I always hold them up. I don't have a pick in, you know, one over the other. I just say that they were very good for me at different times in my career. All right, brilliant. Very diplomatic of you, Brett. Yeah, I could be a politician. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely could. Well, thank you, Brett. We really appreciate it. And thanks for your time for uh, We, You know, Saints fans, we, we do remember you well. So thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, Brett. Oh wow! You know, second phone call we've had with um, an ex-Saints legend, Brett Ormrod there, and second time I've come out of it thinking, what fantastic guy! These ex-footballers that have played in the Premier League in front of tens of thousands of people are more normal than you or I, and it's quite terrifying. I know. Is it? It's great though, isn't it? All these kind of like rumours about these football players being these jumped-up superstars with massive egos, and yet when we speak to them, they're just really nice guys that we that we speak to yeah I, th- I think though if you imagine the the journey that that brett omrod had he didn't mention it in, in the interview but he had a you know double leg break i think he'd been chucked out uh, you know of a club when he was 17 and then worked his way up you know the hard way up 
you know, through all the clubs up to Saints, scored in all four leagues for Blackpool. There's an awful lot there to be incredibly proud of. But, you know, he did his career the hard way. Yeah, it's um, an interesting that you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned uh, Ricky Lambert and he mentioned Jamie Vardy. And that, that kind of sort of player that has journeyed around a bit, has experienced, you know, all the different levels of uh, English football. Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty fascinating. And um, he also gave us some pretty kind of fascinating insights into into what it's like to be on the losing side in a cup final as well. Um, and I suppose we can't really ignore that that game because it is the day after uh, what might have been at Wembley. Um, for those of you who, uh, for some reason, have picked up this podcast and are not already Southampton fans and don't know what happened. It's a very small Venn diagram, yeah. right there, isn't it? <laughs> Which you have. I think less than a whole human being. There may be someone who was, who was drunk enough to have not realised and you know somehow kind of picked this download up on their, their iPhone. But um, yeah, obviously we, we lost to Manchester United 3-2 yesterday. Um, we went in the lead. And then had the lead cruelly snatched from us, from the linesman. Um, and then uh, conceded two goals to Manchester United, a, a free kick from Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, well, my, my dad spent the entire day calling him uh, Abramovic. Zlatan Abramovic. Which was great. Yeah. Really added to the day. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how Zlatan would feel about that. Because I imagine, you know, the personality and the profile is you know, such a big thing for him. I just love to kind of like see his face as your dad just calls him Abramovich. Yeah, I, he probably would say that Abramovich reports to Ibrahimovic. Yeah, you know, that's the way the natural pecking order yeah. works. And after watching him yesterday, I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, I, I think Zlatan has himself at the top of the the tree of the human pyramid, doesn't he? Um, He's human exhibit A. Yeah, um, it's kind of one of those things, isn't it? You, you watch the kind of highlights with your wife, and you try and explain what's going on. Um, well, I mean, obviously, you didn't watch the highlights with my wife, but you know, I did. Yeah, we and, shouldn't talk about that. Yeah, and um, yeah, she's kind of, oh, well, why is he so good? But you know, he's thirty-five. Shouldn't he be getting on a bit? And you're like, oh, he's Latin, isn't he? Yeah, Latin Abramovich. I think you saw uh, yesterday. It was one of the only times in my life I've watched what I would consider to be one of the truly world-class global footballers like there were like the Messi's and I think maybe he doesn't get the credit he deserves because of the he's at the same time as Messi at the same time as Ronaldo but what a what an athlete uh, and what a winner you yeah know, somebody just his whole thing is winning and you can call it selfish but he wins and he drags people with him and they become winners because of it and I think you saw that yesterday yeah I think kind of pretty much that um what was the difference um I suppose the kind of clinical nature in, in which he approaches the game, but that, you know, then again, I think on another day, maybe, maybe they wouldn't have had the rub of the green. Maybe we'd have been lucky. Maybe we'd have come away with the win. I mean, w- one of the things which um, I was mentioned in the build-up to the game, uh, Mourinho mentioned, you know, Man United have got to be careful that Southampton don't want it more than them. And when I started watching the game, and we started with this high energy. It actually did feel like we did want it more than them, and the the two goals that Man United got were felt totally against the run of play. Yeah, they were they were training round goals. I, I think yeah, particularly the the second goal. Yeah, the, which the almost Jesse happened Lingard in slow motion. Yeah, and I think Saints will be kicking themselves because they'll no doubt, you know, not today I imagine, but in the next couple of days they'll get together and they'll watch that and they will see that Man United were tired, um, 
and I think Man United were there for the taking. And I think the only sad thing is maybe Saints realised that 20 minutes too late. Uh, I, I think, you know, all credit to Saints, though. I, I said this to you earlier, John. I left Wembley pretty immediately after the final whistle because you don't want to see that. But, um, you know, an incredible mix of disappointment, uh, but pride about how they played and about how the, the fans represented themselves. And then also excitement about the future. Yeah. I, I think yesterday you saw what how Pearl wants them to play. High intensity with the right centre forward. They've got, some hell, they've got some serious footballers there. And I'm really excited about it. It, it, it was exciting to watch. And I think um, you know, one, one of the kind of hot topics of the final is Manolo Gabbiadini. He, he, was, he was just brilliant. Absolutely so clinical. Every kind of sniff at goal he got, he put it in the back of the net. Um, that the kind of first goal that we got to bring it back to 2-1, the kind of little dink under De Gea's leg, first of the ball. Um, was that a cross from, was that Cedric or, or was, no, it, Ward was it Ward actually, Prowse? Really, yes. really low. He doesn't normally do low crosses. Normally likes to find the player's head. Yeah. Um, but every time we put in those low crosses, we look dangerous. And then obviously we had half time. Um, thankfully, I waited until the, the first half was over before I went down to get my half time beer. And as soon as I realised that the game was starting again, very, very quickly finished off a beer, managed to get back to my seats and saw that second Gabbiadini goal, which at the time felt amazing i i think i was just really really excited that we were now 2-2 we're we're back into the um we're back into the final at that point i thought we're probably going to go on and win it but watching that goal back in the replays now i've had had a chance to kind of no emotion watch it that was brilliant wasn't it yeah he's i mean you can imagine now the saints players are probably looking around uh they're looking at him in training and they're thinking where would we be if we'd assigned him in the summer. And I, I, Charlie Austin is great. We said this last week. Charlie Austin and Rodriguez were never going to stay fit. You know, there's no evidence that suggests it would have been. That's no insult, but you know, it never was going to happen. Where would we be had we taken the leap in the summer we signed him? I, He's a deadly, deadly finisher. And I was listening to another national newspaper podcast, uh, you know, which I will not name uh, in the spirit of not naming competitors uh, earlier today. And they're already talking about like, you know, when are Liverpool going to get him? I think it's tongue in cheek because the guy's played three games, but he looks like a goal scorer and he's running off the ball. Uh, for me, all of a sudden, the forward line of Redmond, uh, Taddeck and him now, it all makes sense. Yeah. It's fallen into place. It, it, it absolutely looks like it's working so well. And I think well has, has changed the formation slightly um i was kind of trying to, to kind of work out how it is but ward prowse is taking a slightly wider role um gabbiadini kind of like there at, at the front and it's working really really nicely I, I know i think we've only played this three games okay we've lost two of them and in two of those games we, we've conceded three goals but one of those was the cup final i think you know man united pretty much took every chance they had apart from the one which which grazed the top of the bar and um i i feel that excitement you you, you watched yesterday and thought this lineup this group of players without the rotation which yep. you know some would argue was necessary some was uh, would argue was less necessary um throughout the kind of first half of the season and you're starting to think 
could this be another really good Saints side that you get really excited about watching every Saturday, every Saturday, going on to St Mary's, going on to the away games and thinking, right, we can beat anyone on our day. Yeah, I, I think, and also if you look at there were players missing yesterday and right, one of those is Fonte, he's left the club. Van Dyke wasn't there. Van Dyke's our talisman. You know, we know that now. And I think maybe we've got another one in Gabbiadini, but I believe that you saw yesterday, well, what I hope is you saw is the future. And I think you're right. I think players like Ward-Prowse, they look better. They look like the players I hope they can come. Stephen Davis, non-stop running as always. Romeo will no doubt be kicking himself for the free kick for the first goal. But Romeo bossed Pogba. Yeah. Uh, he really did. And that with Redmond and Tadek and Gabbiadini, it's exciting. And even, even players like Jack Stevens, you know, you, you can... Oh, there's my first, you know, one of many probably. You can see they are schooled in the same way of playing football. Stevens doesn't just hump out of the pitch. He finds a pass. Yoshida is the same. They were a joy to watch yesterday. Yeah, it, it is funny because I kind of feel that if we had Van Dyke, maybe we wouldn't have considered the particularly the second goal and the final goal. Um, although we, we have conceded goals with Van Dyke in the side as well. We are still prone to defensive lapses even when he's there. But you're right. When you watch Stevens play, although he hasn't kind of had the experience and maybe hasn't quite got the presence yet to be this kind of bossing centre-back who can play forward, come out from the back... I do think he's he's going to develop into one of those really classy centre halves, the kind of you know more like the kind of Van Dyke type player, you know, powerful but also with a really good footballing mind, really good kind of um, you know way of bringing it out out from the back. It, he he does look really promising, and I'm quite excited about him for the future. The question, I suppose, lies. Where does he fit in once Van Dijk is back from injury, once Caceres is kind of fit and has some game time? Well, they play a lot of games in the season now. You know, they have to. you have to look at it like that. I guess they, they factor in they're going to play at least probably, I hope to play probably the best part of 50 games in a season. Uh, I think that you will see, I think what you saw was a, a very good schooling of, of Stevens. Ibrahim Rich got two goals, but he didn't boss Stevens in any way. And one of the things... Um, I think that was was most comforting as well was the the role that Yoshida played. You know, Yoshida, who was, and I'll hold my hands up. I was among them, a player that Saints fans have pilloried because he always had a mistake in him. Yeah, but you know, he has stepped up and he looked superb yesterday. And I think it's another example of we can all be really proud. Yeah, they didn't win, but we can be really proud of that group of players. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And um, I, I wrote down a kind of list of questions I wanted to ask you about the game. And um, we've already talked about a few of the players, but who were the heroes of the day? Who, who were the players that really stood out or or even the managers or the fans? or you know? Well, I, I think the, the fact, I've never known an experience like it. I think Saints did an amazing thing. Little things that Saints do are very clever. Leicester are very good at this as well. Putting a free scarf on everyone's seat. These things they cost in the grand scheme of football world they cost peanuts. They make they can help make a difference. I think Puel put out his best, his strongest possible team yesterday. He will feel he was unlucky. But in terms of the players, um, we've mentioned Stevens, we've mentioned Yoshida. I think Ward Prowse probably had one of the best games he's had in a Saints shirt. He looked deadly. They all played well. I think we can look back and we could say could Fraser have done better on the on the free kick. 
could the defenders have done better on the yeah on the other two goals we'll never know but I, I, all you can ask of them is that they give it their absolute best one of the players that stood out for me was Redmond yeah yeah he looks like a terror it's it, it's interesting isn't it because we've had I mean I I've also thought pretty much every time Yoshida's been in the starting lineup, maybe not so much for the last couple of months, but previous to them, every every time I've seen him on the pitch, I've been like, oh my God, we've got my Yoshida on. What on earth is he going to do? He's the Hoyveld of, uh, of the last few years, yeah, isn't he? exactly. And I've heard lots of people um, talking about Redmond. They get very frustrated. He, he's not the best finisher, and he can sometimes be quite wasteful. I've always quite liked him because I think he's quite dangerous, and he... He causes defenders worry, even if it doesn't necessarily get anywhere. He, he worries defenders. But again, Ward-Prowse, yes, he's starting to kind of, he's got a bit of, I think he's learning from Stephen Davis, you know? I think he sees the kind of player that Stephen Davis is and thinks, okay, here's someone who's maybe got an ordinary set of talents, but becomes quite an extraordinary good player by the way he uses them. And James Ward-Prowse has got you know one very good talent, which is kind of whipping the crosses in. But he's also managing to find much more of that kind of like hard-working spirit. He's getting into the tackles. He's winning the second balls, and and it's really exciting to see him develop this way. Yeah, there was a great moment yesterday when he took on, uh, he tackled Pogba, and he knocked Pogba for one. Unfortunately, James then misplayed a pass, and it went straight back to Man United. But we, you know, we're not here to criticise other players' clubs and if Man United want to spend £90 million on Pogba then you know it's entirely up to them but for me you saw that like, I would always rather see a player like James Ward-Prowse than, than a, a you know big money foreign signing particularly yeah. I know that Man United fans will say Pogba's a youth player that's just come back to them but he didn't look, he didn't look too comfortable yesterday and Romeo you know, was amazing. And I think one of the things I meant to say about Jack Stevens was I think I think in football now we're used to young players that are amazing, aren't we? We're used to like young wingers like Raheem Sterling's, we're used to forwards that come out of nowhere. You don't see defenders do that. And I don't you, you don't see brilliant eighteen year old centre backs. And I think what you know, Stevens is twenty three and I think maybe a lot of people looked at Stevens and thought, he's twenty three. If you ain't gonna make it by twenty three, you ain't gonna make it. Yeah. But maybe with the game as fast as it is and players being as good as they are, it takes, you know, you've got to do that apprenticeship of 70-odd games in the championship like Stevens has done to learn the game, to play yeah. centre-back because you just don't get 18-year-old centre-backs. So maybe there's a reason for that. There you go. So, so the centre-back is an apprenticeship that has to be learned. So we, we've talked a little bit about the heroes. Who are the villains? Uh, it's difficult to say. You, you don't want to call individual players out. I thought the only the only criticism we can have is of, of Fraser Forster on the first goal. But then you could look at it and you could say Stephen Davis should have jumped not jumped it in the wall. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could then or say Romeo shouldn't player. have done a stupid tackle. Yeah. There, you know, how far back do you go in the in the yeah. chain of causation? I, I I think that the villains, I, the villains I, is bad I, luck. I'm going to cut in here. I think the villain was the linesman. Let's just leave it at that. I don't even know what his yeah, name even, is. <laughs> even that, though, he's got an impossible... I, I can totally see this because there's one argument, which is kind of the rules, as I understand it, and I'm not an expert, which is uh, if the player has not touched the ball and has not impeded a player, yeah. uh, then he is not interfering. Yeah. And it was then compounded by the fact that, Reb, uh, that Bertrand is behind Gabbiadini. The other way of looking at it is, like, and this is the way I actually look at it, is... Jesus Christ, I think it was, was Bill Shankly or someone said, if he's not interfering on play, then what's he doing in the pitch? Yeah. 
you know, he's there three yards in front of, two yards in front of De Gea. Yeah. So you, you could also, for me, just as a, on a human level, you can't argue that he doesn't influence the game in some way. As a Saints fan, I was gutted. And, and I was, I, where I was sat, which was in, I won't lie, I wasn't in the Saints end. I was in the Club Wembley uh, a bit, not because I'm posh, but because I managed to get tickets. <laughs> uh, you know, we just couldn't see how it was possibly offside. Yeah. Uh, and it was gutting. Yeah. But there's a lot of things that happen in the game after that 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 we, that we lose um, yeah. by, and I I think the to focus on that's the wrong bit. No, we'll we'll just single them out. We'll we'll give them the public hanging. But you know, we'll, let, yeah, let's, let's move on. Be buying a pint, getting yeah. pints bought from in Southampton again. And, and to be honest, it, this is one of the things that's quite interesting about the interview we did with Brett Ormerod. Say, I was at that um, cup final in Cardiff back in 2003, and we lost one nil to mm. Arsenal. And I genuinely, I cannot remember the offside goal. I don't remember much about the game. I yeah. don't know what I was, I mean, I remember where I was. I was with my dad, uh, mum and dad's house, but I can't remember much. I mean, I remember Arsenal being probably a better team than the Man United team that we played yesterday in terms of, um, I, I remember going into the game thinking we'd not got a chance of being Arsenal. I remember, but yesterday I thought we can beat Man United. Um I remember that. I don't remember much about the game at Cardiff, I have to say. Yeah, it's funny with these kind of, um, with, with these games, I think the things that stick out for me are probably kind of travelling up on the train. One of the things that I really remember about going to Cardiff was uh, they. I think they laid on some extra trains for the cup final, which meant that all the train spotters were out because it was a train that was like off the normal timetable. And I remember just being sat next to my brother on a train going along and just all these like kind of men in anoraks and uh, with their film cameras. Uh, you know, they, they don't just kind of write it down on a notebook now. They they film the train coming in. Yeah, anyone can write anything down on a yeah. notepad, John. You've got to take a picture so yeah, people know yeah, you were exactly. there. Exactly, so people know you were there. Why is it that I remember that more than I remember the kind of disallowed offside goal? You know? I buy one uh, yesterday flew by for me. It really did. And... I wonder if it's just the stress and the tension and the passion and you look so much you look forward to it so much I think as a Saints fan you know these things are rare you know the Man United fans that were there yesterday the Man United fans who couldn't quite make it yesterday will be like well you know what we'll be another Wembley final in the next two years yeah um, that's fine you know if don't go to this one I'll go to the next one Saints fan it's, it, it's interesting years. as well that thinking about kind of remembering finals because um, I was thinking that you know the atmosphere in Wembley Stadium in the Saints end was absolutely incredible. You mentioned it before the the flags, uh, the the free scarves really worked because you had all the Saints fans wave them around. It it created this brilliant sea of red wire. Everyone was really excited about it. Um, also, we met in the Green Man Pub before the game, and and the My atmosphere pub. there was was pretty great as well. Yeah, one of the things that. People obviously plan football now. Yeah, I remember in the old days, you know, you, you in the old days you definitely wouldn't mix the away fans and the home fans or, you know, the opposing fans. It never would happen. Nowadays you still don't. But those pubs, that pub up a tiny little road off a side street in Wembley must do that probably four or five times a year yeah. and must sell thousands of pints. And all credit to them because there was a huge queue at the bar, but they made sure you got your drink pretty quickly. It was a really good play, way to spend the pre-match. Yeah, uh, and I think uh, we mentioned uh, your dad and I were having a chat, and it's like, probably wouldn't be the kind of pub you'd go to unless you were at the football match. Yeah, and go there. it's not date night pub. No, no, definitely not a date night pub. Lots of stickers of Francis Benalia up on the walls now, though. Um, 
And I suppose, you know, I've talked about the atmosphere in amongst the Saints fans. You managed to get uh, get hold of a Club Wembley seat. What's it like being in Club Wembley? Because uh, the, the people in Club Wembley are the pilloried people when we watch yeah. the England games. Well, when we they put our prawn sandwiches show. down and our yeah. glasses of Chateau Lafitte 68 uh, to watch the game, uh, it's pretty febrile. You know, what I, that's why I would genuinely say it was surprising because... You've got people in there. Like, we met before the game. We're having a beer, and yeah. we met these people who stood opposite us, and we said, are you Man United or Samson fans? They were from Iceland. Three of them were Man United fans. They travelled all the way from Iceland and bought Club Wembley tickets. The other one was a Liverpool fan who had bought the tickets uh, before when the semi-final draw was announced, thinking, it's okay, because it'll definitely be Liverpool in the semi-final. But the atmosphere's pretty febrile. You know, you've got opposing fans side by side in a winner-takes-all game. Uh, it's a pretty, uh, not like, I wouldn't say it's like naughty, like Green Street or anything like that. Let's not pretend. But, you know, there is a bit of back and forth and it's pretty, can be pretty febrile up there. It was a yeah. good day. Yeah. So you, you wouldn't, your life was never in danger, but you did have a few kind of moments where you thought, this, you, this, this you know, as a man, way. all of who must be five foot six, uh, obviously I'm a physical presence not to be. I, I think you must with. be at least five foot six and three quarters to in my in my heels, uh, I think you know you don't, but you do feel like you you get the feeling of that's why they don't put football fans together. Yeah, because you can imagine a flashpoint between groups of people uh, very easily, and there's nothing to be proud of about that. But they're, they're, you can definitely imagine that. Yeah, right. Well, well, let's uh, let's move on. Um, my brother managed to meet someone in the gents at halftime who missed the first Southampton goal because he, he nipped off to the loo. Early before before Gabbiadini got that oh dear. got that first goal, and um, and then there were also people that managed to miss both. So they n- snuck out a little bit early to get to the front of the beer queue, and then didn't finish their beers before the second goal. You'd be sick, wouldn't you? Yeah, what an error! You need to take a long, hard look at your life choices. Yeah, and um, there was one guy who I saw in the Green Man pub who I think probably he may have been there physically. But I think mentally he'd gone. He was there. He was probably in his early 20s. He was with his mum. He was probably in her 50s or 60s. And he was so, so, so drunk. It was about I, one o'clock in the I afternoon. I imagine they had to pour a few people out of that pub. Yeah. And um, you just think, God, he, he, you've drunk so much. You're not going to remember a single thing about today, are you? Well, we. I think I got to that pub at about 11. And there must have been 300 Saints fans already there, already been on it. I imagine that... Some of them have been on coaches, you know, probably drinking from seven, eight in the morning with a 4.30 kickoff. That's a long old shift that you put in. Um, but yeah, they were they were selling some pints in that pub. I think there are probably a few fans that maybe woke up with the world's worst hangover today. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I think we've probably talked about the kind of the uh, the pub culture so um, enough. One of the things which... Um, kind of come came up was uh well thinking that we need uh video referees which is more of a general football topic than a saints topic but what do you think about that i i mean you've got to look at when are you going to do it so the goal line technology works because it's automatic uh you know it happens instantly say yesterday saints get that first say there is video referees yeah Saints get the first goal. What do they do? Do they then have like a timeout button that the bench can push that says, we want that decision reviewed? Right, okay. They can probably get a decision within seconds. Yeah. But as we've seen today, 
the, even if you'd review it, there's no right or wrong on that call. Some people say the referee and linesman got it wrong. A lot of people say they didn't. So is there any real guarantee? I think that the, the goal line technology works because it's black and white. There's a, Ball's there's all over the line or it's not. There's Offside a, there's a definite yes or no to that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And, I, I, and that's how I wonder. So how's it going to work? Of course, you know, we'd love to have seen it yesterday. I, I just don't know how physically, like, so how many decisions do you get to challenge a game? Do you have, like, three, like, timeouts that you can use, like they yeah. do in ice hockey or, or the NFL? How does this even begin to work in a game that's as fast-paced in football? And I, I think they can make it work, um, but you can imagine it's going to kick up a hell of a stink. Yeah, and I guess, you know, probably you'd have to limit it to just, you know, those absolute key decisions. So is that goal offside or not? Is it in or out? Was he sent off or not? Uh, and then think, was he sent off? Where do you, you know, one man's foul. I mean, look at the foul Jack Stevens did yeah. yesterday. From where I was, looked that looked like a off. red card. Yeah. There was the other way of looking at it, which was the only reason he made the foul is because he was fouled and then in desperation to get the ball back, he jumps in. Now, that doesn't excuse what he did. Yeah. But for, for, I think a lot of people, I thought he was going to go. Yeah. Um, and he certainly would have gone had he already been booked. So for things that are cut and dried, I get. For offside, like now I watch Match of the Day and they say, well, he's clearly onside. But you see his arm is in front of the defender. Sometimes they say he's clearly offside because his head is in front. Like, yeah. These things are all open to interpretation. So clear up the rule book, make it black and white, then then you can maybe yeah. do it with the robots. I mean, I imagine that, you know, we've been they've been trying to do this for a hundred odd years. They've probably tried to make the interfering with play thing as clear as they possibly can. Yesterday, I mean, also the annoying thing was that Bertrand didn't even need to be there. No. That's the killer, you know, like he didn't even need to be there. So um, if you're listening to this, uh, Brian, make sure next cup final. <laughs> yeah, just leave it to Marco. Yeah. He's got the goals. Marco, Manolo. Manolo even. The Marco's, uh, yeah, Marco's his dad who played for Sunderland. <laughs> uh, no relation. And the other thing as well, um, Claude Puel's tactics, I think I think they were pretty good yesterday. I think he couldn't really have done much more as the manager. The one question mark I have is, do you bring off Gabbiadini when he's on score a hat-trick? I don't think I'd ever bring off a player who scored two goals in a game. Yeah, he looked tired. I yeah. mean, I, th- I think you have to recognise that. He did look tired. The other way, look, and these managers, their science they have, they know more about these players and their levels of fitness. They know exactly what they're capable of with the fitness coaches and the, and the, and the squad, the team they got on the bench. I, I do agree. I think, the for me, the decision was you should have taken off Tadic. Yeah. I, I don't think, if we're looking for villains, I don't, I don't think Tadic was a villain, but I don't think he... I think he had a very Tadic game yesterday, which was lots of nice little touches, lots of nice little flicks, very little final impact. Lots of like, just shoot on your right foot. Oh no, he's tried to go on his left. Oh, well, yeah. he's been tackled again. So uh, that would have been the change for me. I think personally, Puel was playing for extra time with the idea that they've played three games in 12 days. Uh, they've just come out from a European trip. They're not going to want to play extra time. We'll stick Shane Long on. He's a nightmare. Just like they did against, just you know, like he did against Liverpool, stretch the back four. Obviously, I don't think you can say it backfired because because uh, Gabby Dini wouldn't have been there to head that ball away from Ibrahimovic. Um, but I'd, I, yeah, I think Post he got it right. They played high intensity. Everyone had a job, and I think the the annoying thing is the reason why we lost that game is probably just two individual errors. 
Yeah. It, it, it was an interesting game, and I think he, he did totally get it right. I'm very excited about the team going forward. Um, and you're right, it's, it's just, you know, one or two kind of fine margins that on the day, could they have gone a different way? And, you know, maybe five times out of ten, they would go a different way. And it, that that was, the I suppose, the great thing. And actually, one of the things I remember about um, the Brett Ormerod Arsenal final was we got absolutely smashed by them in the league uh, the week before or two weeks I think before. he said which, it was like 6-1 yeah, or something. Yeah, which, which you mentioned. And I remember that. And then we went to the final in Cardiff and we played a very kind of tight, quite cagey game, trying to get, you know, limit what Arsenal could do and try and get, get the goal. Whereas yesterday we went to the final, we had Man United and we played a really good, attacking, exciting game to watch. And I think it worked just as well as it might have done if we if we tried to soak up the pressure. You've still got to deal with you, you've yeah. still got to deal with Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I don't think you can soak up. I, yeah. I just don't think you can. It, it seems like Man United have shown everyone who's watched Premier League for the last twenty years. There's one thing that, that teams like Man United, Arsenal, when they're in their pomp, Chelsea, you, your Man City, you don't soak up the pressure. A few no. teams might do it. A few teams might get lucky, and Saints have got lucky a few times in the past. But as a rule, it's not really a tactic because when they've got players, the quality of Ibrahimovic, Pogba to a lesser extent, like Mata, Martial, these are players that turn a game. In a, even like Lingard, you know, he yeah. didn't do much. He had a chance, he scored. They can turn a game in a moment. And if you set up shop to defend and hit them on the break, all of a sudden they do that one bit of magic, which is well within their gift to do that kind of falls to pieces. And yeah. I, I think the only, in a, in a, you know, the only thing they know is to attack. So you attack them back. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, what, what can we take from the final? Where are we going to go forward? What's, what's the rest of the season going to look like for us? Unfortunately, it inevitably is an anticlimax, isn't it? We're not in Europe. And I, I think one of the killer things with that is there's the genuine feeling we still could be and we probably should be. Obviously, we haven't won any silverware. We're out of the FA Cup. Our league position, let's face it, short of a miracle, we're not going to get sixth. We have the chance, though, to build, I think. We've got a great squad. We've now got the centre-forward that we, we need and we've been crying out for. And I think now the rest of the season's goal is to consolidate. Let's get as many points as we can. And let's go next season. Let's see. You know, Let's see what we can do next season. So, so you think now is about, well, finding his finding his players winning the fans over yeah getting the team lineup sorted you know and then that's it next season push on yeah I I think Saints fans as well should should support Puel yeah he's got the job for a reason yeah he can sign the players we're signing a better caliber of player than we've ever signed before I I do believe that and I I think we need to give him time Uh, absolutely I'm totally with you and as much as I loved watching Saints under Pochettino and Ronald Koeman is I always felt, you know, this is a team which should be going to cup finals. They should be going and competing remember, at Wembley. Remember Sheffield United away under Koeman. That's, I mean... I, d- I don't remember Sheffield United We lost 1-0, I think, in the FA Cup. Yeah. Why, why are we doing that? What, why, what's the well, how on earth did that happen? You know, it can't happen. We, we should be winning. We should be going for the Cups. Yeah. And that is our chance for silver. And I really, really hope um, that the players kind of take yesterday and think, 
right, I want to be there again pretty soon. And next time, you know, let's go and win it. Yeah, and I want to be there playing for Saints. Uh, and I think you you can look at that team and they can build that team. And Romeo was, you know, one mistake aside, was outstanding yesterday. Ward Prowse was brilliant. Stephen Davis might only have a couple of years left in him, but what a player. Yeah. Redmond, got, I Redmond, think, has got more to come. Know, it's really talented. These are really talented set of young footballers. Um, and they can do great things. And I... Like I said, I left the game yesterday. I was obviously incredibly disappointed. I was frustrated, but I was also really excited. You know, I'm an optimist, and I think there's many reasons to be cheerful as a Saints fan today. All right, brilliant. Um, so we've got Watford at the weekend, but in the history of Southampton Football Club, I don't think that's going to be a big game. You got any thoughts on it, Tom? Who knows? Uh, I mean, which Watford's going to turn up? Um, we've obviously got to stop Troy Deeney. Uh, Watford have got about a 1,000 different players from about... 1100 different nationalities in the team so you never know who's <laughs> going to play I, I think we can do it that team they put out if they, they, they will be rested they will be fit they should still be confident we've got Gabbiadini yeah and um, I think you know let's let's let his scoring record keep on let's brush Watford aside hold our heads up high and, and push on and um, you know we'll have a very optimistic end of the season and uh, lots of you know, good positive things to talk about on this podcast. I hope so. Let's keep positive. Right. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, everyone. Thank you for listening once again. And um, please remember, if you are following us on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, get in there, write a review, give us... Um, you know, obviously, really positive reviews. We don't. If you if you'd listened to this and thought it was a whole heap of shit, don't bother giving us a review. But if you Just think it's nice. really good, yeah, put that in. We'd love we'd love to know. Um, we're on Twitter at Saints FC Podcast, um, and I think we've got a Gmail, which is Saints FC Podcast at Gmail dot com. So if you want to sponsor us, uh, then you know, send us loads of money. Then that'd be great. Yeah, we we'd be up for that. We'd look after that money. That'd be fine. Okay, anyway, cheerio. Thanks.